Welcome to Help From Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help From Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast made by Keyforge friends, and it's for Keyforge friends. I am your Keyforge friend. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. I am also called Alex by those who know me, which I hope would be you if you're a listener of the podcast. And I'm joined this week by a good Keyforge friend of mine. It's SC Steele. Hello, hello. And another great Keyforge compadre, Boulevard Blake. What's going on, pal? Hey, man. How's it going? I'm just excited to be here, as always, to get my weekly conversation about Keyforge in with two of my favorite Keyforge folks. Um, did you get to play any games this past week? I sure did. I got a lot of practice in for um, the Coat 9 and ABR, so I'm, I'm flush with Keyforge right now. Okay, for the folks who may not be aware of what those are, wh what is Coat 9 in the ABR? So I'll I'll do ABR and then, um, Blake, you can talk about Coat, but I okay. ABR is Ancient Bear Republic and they are doing a, a league right now where there are 10, I think it's 10 teams, but I know there's 10 people per team and every week there is a different variant and all 10 people on your team have to pick decks for that variant, and then you are paired up with another team. And then on the team, your 10 members are paired up against somebody on the other team that you were paired up against. So it's basically a, a large league with a lot of people. And um, right now it's, it's just been super fun strategizing with my teammates. Excellent. Now, what about the coat? Yeah, so Coat 9 this season is uh, it's a three-person team, which it generally is. And it's uh, Archon, Reversal, and Short Adaptive. But the twist is is your opponents that you're going against get to choose which decks are played in which format, which I think is going to create some really interesting decisions for um, how you want to match up because you have no control over what you're going to be going against, what you're going to be playing. Uh, you just know what uh you don't want you well let me reset rephrase that you won't know which deck you have that will be going against which format but you can decide which format your opponent's decks are in so it provides some interesting decision space as well as some uh different ways you may get to play your decks i'm curious to see if one deck always gets put in the same format which will be interesting i you know there, there's such a depth to the way that these leagues and tournaments can be run. We should really have an episode where we just talk about how you put one together. You know, I remember we, we had Jupiter on to talk about something similar, uh, you know, many, many episodes past, but I think it'd be a really interesting topic at some point for us to just break down what goes into making a interesting or worthwhile league, if only just so that we could sort of like examine what it is we like, what it is we don't like, and what, what makes them interesting to us. Is that, I am is that a topic all about that. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, look for that in future, dear listeners. We did not plan that conversation out. Um, but uh, one of the things that we quickly wanted to address off the top of the show, because it's been out for a couple of weeks now, is that the new Keyforge adventure, the newish Keyforge adventure, uh, the Abyssal Conspiracy is out, and none of us has really yet had the opportunity to play it. I'm very busy. I know that that both Sydney and Blake are very busy preparing for their, those leagues. Uh, Sydney, you had some thoughts on it, though. Yeah, it looks a lot like the game Arkham Horror, the card game Arkham Horror by FFG. The locations are similar where there are actual locations on the board that you're traveling to, which are represented by cards. And the creatures in are, are different from playing against the Key Racken as they are assigned to the player 
that is playing when the creature comes into play. So it is it is much more an individual game where you are teaming up with the the other players but each turn is is separate. So I feel like it's it's going to be a lot of fun and having played Arkham Horror the card game, I think that that I'm going to have an edge on on knowing what to do while we play. Do you feel it has more of a RPG kind of storyline to it cuz I know Arkham definitely has a bit more of a story quality to the to the gameplay. Does this yeah. have that same sort of concept? It has a story. I don't necessarily think the story is played out while you play, but I, I don't know mm. yet because haven't given it a go. Now, Blake, you were saying that there's a, there's a TTG mod for it? Yeah, there's a TTS, a or, tabletop sorry. simulator, has a um, has a mod for Key Racken, so I assume this one will be done um, fairly soon. I know that uh, it was done by AFK, the the French Keyforge team, I think, put it together, and it's it was really nice for Key Racken. And it just makes it easy so you don't have to print anything out. And uh, you can then uh, forge with friends because you have uh, people you can just meet online. And if everyone has TTS, you can hop on. Uh, we did Kirakin, myself, Dan, and Joe, a.k.a. Zodded. Um, we, we did that all together and it was a lot of fun. That sounds really cool. Hopefully uh, you'll get the opportunity to try it out, uh, either of you. And then uh, we can talk a little bit about it. Uh, on a future episode of Help from Future Self. But what we are actually here to talk about this week on the podcast is now that Sydney has had the opportunity to play a bunch of Dark Tidings, how's that been working (laughs) out for you, Sid? A bunch. I'm having a blast. Awesome. We're going to talk a little bit about cards in Dark Tidings that have counterparts in older sets and how they compare. And I think in many cases, this is going to be about how the tide mechanic is used in Dark Tidings to create more interesting or at least more variations in the way that cards work. Are you guys ready for this conversation? Heck yeah. Absolutely. All right. So I'm going to start things off. And the reason I'm going to start things off is because I wanted to present a very simple case to get things rolling. Um, we're going to be talking about one of my absolute favorite cards in the new set, and of course, one of my all-time favorite cards. It's not going to be a mystery to anybody when I say that I am a big fan of, in the new set, Deep Water Gruen, and of course, its classic counterpart, Fuzzy Gruen. So for those of you who have not seen Deep Water Gruen yet, it is a common untamed creature in Dark Tidings, five power, two pips of amber on it, play Reap. If the tide is low your opponent gains one. Now, of course, this is a counter to the classic Fuzzy Gruen, who is a five-power rare creature in classic sets that he's appeared in. And Fuzzy uh, gave you two pips of amber for playing him and just had the effect, play, your opponent gains one. Um, I really love Deepwater Gruen, and what I think is most interesting to me about this is the full integration of the tide mechanic. So... Before you play Deepwater Gruen, there is a decision point that gets to be made. With the old Gruen, you just throw them down or you throw them out if you don't want your opponent to get that one amber. Maybe it's going to put them over the top for their third key. You can't afford to do it, so you just got to throw it away. But the Deepwater Gruen allows the opportunity to say, okay, I am going to eat the three chains or play another card to raise the tide before I play Deepwater Gruen so that I get all the benefit of those two pips of amber and my opponent gets nothing. Same thing with its reap uh, ability. You know, if the tide's down, you always have to worry about whether or not you can reap with Deepwater Gruen, but you do have the opportunity to change the tide in order to make Deepwater Gruen only advantageous to you. And this is the essence of what the tide mechanic is to me. It just gives you more interesting decisions to make over the course of your turn, whether it be in the beginning, middle, or end of your turn. 
Um, and it's why I wanted to start off with this example. One thing I, I will say about that card is, as I feel like it was, it should have been worded that the tide must be high or your opponent gets one because there's moments when you start the game where the tide is neutral and you can still play it and not have to like make that decision where I felt it should have been a hard, like the tide mm -hmm. needs to be high or else this happens. That's my personal view. I honestly think that it gives a lot more options in that if it's neutral, you're you're most likely going to see neutral when you're playing against other sets. So this actually benefits playing out of set much more than the uh, Fuzzy Gruen because Fuzzy Gruen, they get it no matter what. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally true and actually a very valid point. Um, I also like to draw attention to the fact that Deepwater Gruen has wonderful flavor text. Uh, no one knows why cuteness was a necessary adaptation for the pitch dark and the deep option. I love that. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's awesome. And attributed to Medic Ingram, and I always love it when you get to hear from a character talking about something in the game. Uh, Blake, what's your first pick? My first pick has nothing to do with the tide, oddly enough. Um, it is, uh, for my three ones that I chose, I wanted to do a combination of Unfathomable versus Dis, since uh, that is what was rotated out and brought in and find cards that had a similar effect. So first up, I have uh, Kaupe, which is a two-power Aquion creature that says your opponent cannot play more than one card of each card type, so an action artifact creature upgrade each turn. And then the counterpart to, to on the other side of that is Ember Imp, which your opponent cannot play more than two cards each turn. Now, I'm just curious, which one would you guys rather have if you could choose between the two? Because I think they're both very interesting. They have the exact same power, so the ability to deal with them whatever way you would is exactly the same. Which one would you rather have, actually? That's a great question. Uh, honestly, if I had to choose, I think I would go Ember Imp just because it allows for one less card. But restricting it to one card of each type is is definitely a something that usually could leave it down to only one or zero cards. Mm -hmm. I think I might actually go with Cope. And I think the reason would be that only being able to play one action really does cut down on the possibility for people to be able to possibly deal with Cope as a card, um, at least in that turn. So I might go in that direction with it. I don't know. They're both absolutely backbreaking in the right scenario if you can prote protect them. Can't cope yeah, see, with cope. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm I'm with I'm with uh, Alex on this one, uh, the, and I more have it for not the action side, but your reasoning is I think just as applicable. But if you can only play one creature as well, and you didn't have any on board, for example, you know fighting is not an option, and to deal with that side of things, you just have to literally take care of that one creature, and they're kind of in uh, a very sticky situation. Can we talk about Cope's Evil Twin for one quick second? I know, I I know, know that right? wasn't really on the table. Have you seen this card, Blake? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's, so, it's, it's a weird card. Yeah. It's seven power, which is great because it's going to stick on the table, but you cannot play more than one card of each type per turn is a huge restriction to put on yourself. But then discard any number of cards from your hand for each card discarded this way deal two damage to an enemy creature that's not the greatest power for that restriction like that's not I a great trade off really i really like it to be honest i i think it has that sort of um uh helmsman spears quality so if you have a good uh unfathomable lineup and you're likely to call them over and over again it could work very well 
I think. I think it has the potential, but again, it's I feel like it's it's quite a situational <laughs> card. But it, it's it's really interesting because I mean, at the end of the day, you're getting removal and cycling all at the same time. And mm. then you could get to a point where you can just fight into stuff with uh, with Kaupe and probably deal with it fairly easily in uh, two or three turns at most. Seven power is also hard to get rid of yourself. Like if you don't want to have it on yeah. the board, it's going to be hard to take off the board. What would yeah. be interesting is if your opponent's like, oh, this is actually, uh, I see this being detrimental and then puts no creatures on the board. That's That's a funny one. So you're stuck with it. You can't fight. Yeah, Those it would be kind of cool if it could blow itself up by discarding cards. But uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, it, speci- right? it specifies an enemy creature. Sydney, yeah, that's interesting. What's your first pick? All right. So I have a love for Logos, and these two cards are super similar. So Submersive Principle, play, each player loses one amber. If the tide is high, each player loses half of their amber instead, rounding down. And then compared to the uh, very similar effervescent principle, each player loses half their amber rounding down, gain a chain. I honestly think that these are incredibly comparable, but submersive principle gives so many more options. And without the chain, there's so much more flexibility with whether you raise the tide, you're not hurting your draw next turn. I think it's it's definitely a greater chance that it's going to be worth it to raise the tide than it would hurt you to have to raise the tide. I like that a lot. Um, I think the thing that I think is really neat about Submersive Principle is I like that each player loses one as an option. Um, now, of course, naturally, it's you can't like, can you change the tide just by taking three chains if the tide is high for you at that moment? I don't know that no. I've ever tried to do no. that. You, you can can't. only raise the tide. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be scenarios in which submersive principle, you have to do the the full effect or the, the tide is high effect. But I also kind of like the idea of just like that, if it's just one amber to take your opponent off a key, like that's a real interesting design for a card. Um, where you're not always going to have the opportunity of that, but it will in many scenarios provide you with the opportunity to just do the little bit of of amber control that you need to to get the job done. I find it also interesting because of the fact that, and I've had this happen to me before, is you forget about the tide, and then you play it, and you're like, oh shoot, the tide wasn't high, and you actually wanted to make them lose half. So it provides just that extra moment of uh, player error if they're not paying attention, which I think is also interesting. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've said it before and I'll keep saying it again. At the beginning of your turn, look at the tide and look at the cards you want to play and make a note of whether or not the tide needs to be high or low to get the best effect out of them and whether mm-hmm. or not you should be switching midway through. Mm-hmm. Uh, my next is Pi Sweeven or P.I. Sweeven, rather, uh, Private Investigator Sweeven. Uh, he is a creature in Logos to power. P.I. Sweeven. Actually, I can't tell if P.I. Sweeven is, is male or female presenting. I think female presenting. So I should say she is a uh, creature who has the reap power. If the tide is high, draw three cards. Compare this to a classic creature uh, from Logos, uh, Babbling Bibliophile, one power, reap, draw two cards. So I could actually see some interesting arguments around this one. Uh, one of the things that I think is fascinating about P.I. Sweeven compared to Babbling Bibliophile is that P.I. Sweeven, if the tide is high, draw three cards. 
it can be worth it to eat the chains that would it take to get the tide to use that power because drawing cards is the obvious counter to having chains. And that's the thing that I think is really fascinating. So I could say, all right, you know, I'm going to eat, you know, a, three chains for having to raise the tide so that I can get the most out of this. But then being able to draw three cards is going to put me ahead of that chain drawing drawback. And so there's a real balance that you can make in your mind of whether or not it's worth it to raise the tide with P.I. Sweep. And if you think it's likely that you're going to draw into more Logos cards that you can play that turn or simply stock up your hand for the next couple of turns when you're going to be down because of chains, interesting thing to think about, especially if you're going to get more advantage of having the tide up for you for some other cards that you're going to end up playing that turn or using that turn. Whereas Babbling Bibliophile is a very straightforward card. It's a one power, reap, draw two cards, your opponent doesn't want it to stay on the table. And, you know, if it does, you're going to get card advantage over a long period of time. I just think P.I. Sweeven's way more interesting than Babbling Bibliophile because there's so much more to think about when it comes to using P.I. Sweeven. And you said it. It actually has twice the probability of staying on the board because of being two power versus Babbling Bibliophile's one power. It's basically a an afterthought that you have to get rid of Babbling Bibliophile whenever you see it put down. And it's not that hard. A lot of things do one ping. So mm. two power actually ups the probability of it staying on the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. I, I have to say, though, I've got quite a few decks with P.I. Sweeven and I've never used it before. Oh, no. <laughs> it's It always gets dealt with. Three cards is just way too powerful. Like, mm. if two cards was powerful, three cards is way more powerful. So it's a, it's an interesting one. Yeah. I really like the idea that they looked at Babbling Bibliophile and said, okay, how can we throw, like, a little, a little wrinkle into this to make it interesting for Dark Tidings? I love that design space. You know, let's take a classic card that was good and, you know had its place I guess within the game and find ways that we can sort of like massage it around and make interesting things happen with it which I feel like they did a lot in Dark Tidings. Blake what's your next pick? So my next pick is a uh, unfathomable creature and a disc creature so it's Portal Munger, which is a four power Acreon, which says while the tide is high your opponent's keys cost plus four and the text that it has in there it says uh Unfathomable elders often frighten children with visions of sunlight and dry land. Oh. <laughs> Again, it has a picture of looks like a, a portal looking into a sunlight and uh, the land, which is kind of funny. And then uh, the counterpart I'm proposing against this is anguish. For each damage on anguish, your opponent's keys cost plus one. So... This one is very interesting for me because you can literally play Portal Munger and raise the tide and make your opponent's keys cost more or anguish you sometimes need another card or you're going to need to uh, have something out of hand that can damage it itself so i think it's quite an interesting uh, combination of the two in terms of they're both doing amber control via key cost increase but one is only four power and one is six power and if you damage it and you can't kill it your keys are going up so uh, i think it's it's a really interesting one which one you would choose over the other and i'm curious to hear what you guys would rather have between these two i'm pretty set on anguish i think that 
the fact that all it needs is a little bit of damage to raise the key cost and then you can you can keep figuring out how much more damage it needs and try and manipulate that to work and it being a higher power just means there's more probability that it'll be able to raise the key cost even higher the fact that it is easier to kill once there's more damage on it is a drawback but it's less of a drawback i think than having to raise the tide yeah, I think I'd go Anguish for pretty much the same reasons specified by, by Sydney. I think that Anguish, you know, is it's if you have decks where you really able to take advantage of, of Anguish for, for control because you have lots of ways to ping them and stuff like that. Um, there's lots of interesting stuff you can do with it. Portalmonger I do like, though, because I like the idea of people trading the tide back and forth to, like, take care of its power. So if I'm in a position to win the game and my opponent has Portalmonger and I don't have a way of removing Portalmonger, I don't have a creature that can fight it or it's protected behind a taunt or something like that, I like the idea that, well, fine, I'll just eat this, you know, uh, three chains to raise the tide so that it can't use its power on me next turn. And then it flips over to my opponent who then has to do the math of, well, you know, is there another way that I can do some amber control here? Or am I going to have to take the tide again? I like those decisions and I like the tension between players trading the tide back and forth because an effect like this is on the table. That's exactly why I would choose portal monger as well. You like summed it up perfectly how <laughs> I was thinking about it as well. Like that it, it is interesting decisions and you can play that like tide chicken. I like to call it where who's mm. going to say no first. As you get towards the end of the game, I find that people get a lot more free with just like, yep, I'll take it, I'll take it, I'll take it, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm, whatever mm -hmm. I need to totally. win at this point. Um, which is weird when you occasionally have one of those games where it looks like somebody's going to win in the next two turns and then it goes on for another three or four turns and suddenly everybody's like down to a hand of three cards because they're at like 18 chains or something insane like that. <laughs> Sydney, what's oh, your wow. next pick? All right. So this one actually doesn't have the tide on it. So I have a creature from Star Alliance to power CR Officer Hawkins. It has deploy and it says play. Gain one for each of CR Officer Hawkins non-Star Alliance neighbors. And then the one that I'm comparing that to from previous sets is actually another Logos card, Code Monkey. So this one is three power, also has deploy, and it reads play. Archive each neighboring creature. If those creatures share a house, gain two amber. And I think this is incredibly similar, but also super nuanced. There are a lot of reasons why you might want to archive cards, but then you don't want to be forced to archive creatures when you play Code Monkey, especially if it doesn't meet that criteria. But it is also three power versus CR Officer Hawkins two power. So I actually really like CR Officer Hawkins and I think it's a Code Monkey leveled up. Mm. I like it too. I think it's a, I think it's a good card. I think it provides interesting uh, decisions too. For um, there's the card um, Rocketeer Triska, so you can literally play something next to it, and so you can then have that come into play ready. Like if you don't have it, I just like the oh, deploy yeah. function within uh, Star Alliance because I I feel like deploy feels very much like a Sanctum thing. Uh, like mm. that's where I feel like when I think of deploy, I'm thinking sanctum, but there's some interesting, uh, things now in star Alliance with deploy, which I I'm really enjoying. I think the thing with, with code monkey and the reason why I would probably take code monkey, like if you were to sit me down in like a theoretical deck and say, what would you rather have a uh, code monkey or CR officer Hawkins is that there's so many ways to abuse 
archiving um, in mm, various decks. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you're if you're dealing with, uh, uh, you know, anything that allows you to, you know, if you have an archivist in your deck, if you've got uh, <clears throat> uh, ways of raising key cost via the number of archive cards you have. I can't believe I can't remember the name of the card right now and it's killing me. Four by four. Um, Edai. Thank you. Edai four <laughs> by four. Uh, you know, I, I, I just think that, you know, CR two Amber is great if you can make it happen, but I honestly feel like Code Monkey is just there's a lot of different ways to abuse it in a lot of decks that would give it the edge for me in a theoretical sort of sit down and examine the differences between the two. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. Like Igor exists, which you can't can't speak well enough of. Like it's it's just so good, and just getting to recur your Igor even alone is is worthwhile having that uh, at your disposal. For mm-hmm. sure. So talking about my last picks, here's an interesting one for me. Let's talk about Medicus Lacus in House Saurian, a five power creature. While the tide is high, you may spend amber on friendly creatures as if it was in your pool. This is, of course, a throwback to the Senator Brackus card, which we have seen, of course, in preceding sets. Senator Brackus, who is in Worlds Collide and Mass Mutation, had four power, so one less than uh, Medicus Lacus, and had, you may spend amber on friendly creatures as if it was in your pool, plus fight, reap, exalt, Senator Brackus. I like Medicus Lacus so much more than I like Senator Brackus. Um, and the reason I like Senator Brackus less is not because Senator Brackus is a worse card. In fact, I think it's pretty straightforward that Senator Brackus is probably a better card in the grand scheme of things. He's a yeah, little I was easier say, to kill. We need to check and see if you hit your head today, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> but Senator Brackus is one of the things that enabled so much of the like captured amber can be spent by dinos in Worlds Collide. Um, the reason that I like Medicus Lacus more as part of the game is just what we were talking about earlier with that game of amber tied chicken. So if I'm holding a ton of amber on all of my creatures and Medicus Lacus is on the board and you as my opponent don't have a way to remove Medicus Lacus, you do have the option of raising the tide so that at the beginning of my turn, I you know, before before my turn starts, I don't have the option to raise the tide. I have to start my turn and then raise the tide again in the hopes that Medicus Lacus will will eventually get there. So it can create those great games of chicken. Um, while my opponent tries to come up a way of deal with Medicus Lacus. So it just creates more interesting games to me. Senator Brackus is great, but he's less interesting than Medicus Lacus. Medicus Lacus gives your opponent options to deal with. And I think one of the things, and you know, I was the, the, the dino hater, um, during the world's collide era when it was fresh, specifically because I felt like cards like Senator Brackus oftentimes led to feels bad moments. Moments where it genuinely felt like, well, you took all of my amber and now you get to spend it to win the game and there wasn't anything I can do about it. Great. Why am I even playing? Whereas Medicus Lacus creates an option there for me to deal with that scenario and I don't have to have a specific card. I literally just have to look at, can I afford to raise the tide to make this not happen? Are we on the third key? Is it worth it for me to do this on like a first or second key? Where am I at in the game? And that to me is way more interesting. I guess it being higher power as well as not exalting itself makes it less of a target. And so that means you're more likely to keep it on the board. But I got to go Brackus. Brackus is Brackus is the dude. He's really going to he's going to guarantee you forge more keys. 
hundred percent. Brackus is mm-hmm. a better card, no question. I understand Alex's logic, and and I see what you're saying. Like it, it creates more of it's it's more interesting. Brackus is just like it exists; it needs to go. Whereas you don't necessarily have to have that mentality with Medicus. You can literally just go, okay. I'm. It's like you you're taxing your opponent instead of allowing it to affect you in terms of your opponent forging keys you just say okay i'll take chains instead of you getting to forge a key which is which i agree is a more interesting decision space uh in the game so baracus is is i wouldn't say it's overpowered because it can be dealt with but uh, i definitely see the points you're making in regards to it and I, and I really like that blake what's your next pick so I'm actually going away from the discomparison for my last one, and I'm but I'm still sticking with Unfathomable. So my last one is Tomwa of the Glow, a three-powered Aquian creature with a reap ability, exhaust a creature. If the tide is high, draw a card for each exhausted enemy creature with the flavor text, I will be your light in the darkness. Mm. And uh, I'm putting it up against an AOA fave from Logos, Professor Stutterkin, a two-powered creature with the reap ability, draw a card for each friendly Logos creature. Now, these cards are basically their their one thing that is the similarity is that when you reap, you're going to get to draw a card potentially. But there's an interesting decision, I think, with Tomwa because of there are a lot of things that exist within House Unfathomable where the potency of Tomwa's ability may not be apparent when it's originally played. As opposed to Stutterkin, you're very aware that, okay, I can see there's four creatures on, which means Stutterkin's going to do some damage. Or your opponent could have, like, they haven't played any Logos before this, so there's more Logos coming. Like, like I feel like it's more obvious that Stutterkin is going to smack you in the face and you're going to get to draw a bunch of cards, or your opponent. Whereas Tomwa, I think it's, it. you could maybe be like, you know what, I'll... I'll chill on Tomwa because I don't see as great a thing here. The tide's not on my opponent's side. So even if they do use it, they're going to have to take chains or something. So I think Tomwa feels like less of a threat, but can actually come out of nowhere and really be oppressive. What do you guys think? I think subtly, they they both make it so that you are at least drawing one card because Professor Sutterkin is a friendly Logos yeah. creature and Tomwa exhausts a creature but i think in that way tomwa is is much more powerful because no matter what you're exhausting a creature which in and of Mm, itself is mm -hmm. super incredible especially if it's early game and they don't have many creatures out it's a very good way of board control on top of the fact that you're getting more cards i think the thing that's fascinating to me about tomwa is the idea that you would wait until later on in your turn when perhaps you've used other cards to exhaust opposing creatures and used your own unfathomable creatures so they're exhausted and then use Tomwa near the end of your turn to potentially draw three cards, four cards, six cards. Who knows? Like that's, and you might end up with a bunch more cards and be able to basically just keep rolling with it. That I think is super cool and fascinating. Um, also, have you seen Tom was Evil Twin, where basically it's the same card, except reap if the tide is high, exhaust an enemy creature, and your opponent discards a random card from their hand? Yeah, it's pretty Ooh. cool. I like it. It's a that it's a artwork new one. I, too. Oh, so good. I am, um, and I also like that they're there. You can use like pairs really nicely with the the artifact, um, 
the figurific rod, which is action exhausted creature artifact, and it is a common. So I've got a bunch of decks where you got more than one of these in it, which I think is really fun with Tomewa because it just adds to the flavor. So it's a uh, it's it's cool. Like I I definitely like Tomwa more than than Stutterkin, and I think three power is like the threshold like two there's a lot of things that do two damage but mm-hmm. three is where it starts to become like uh the card pool is is much lesser that you can draw from to just do direct damage it's frigorific um <laughs> <laughs> uh sydney what's your last pick all right so i have two actions for you here and they are incredibly similar so we have within amber pip cement shoes Upon play, deal two to a creature. If this damage destroys that creature, raise the tide. And then we have from Coda, another Amber Pip, Relentless Whispers. Deal two to a creature. If this damage destroys that creature, steal one. So Relentless Whispers is a fantastic steal card, especially if you're pairing it with too much to protect, or there's just a lot of reasons why steal is incredibly useful. But I got to go with Cement Shoes because raising the tide in this set, like all the conversation that we've had that weighs the severity of taking three chains to raise the tide, not only does this let you deal two damage to a creature, it also raises the tide without spending the chains. And that to me is worth the one amber you're not stealing. Mm, Interesting. I like it. I really dig cement shoes for, for uh, like, I agree with what you just said, but I also like it because it plays into a thing with shadows I really like, which is when shadows is like the mob. I always kind of <laughs> like the idea that they take in sort of like, because they start off as being this house where you're just like, oh, they're just kind of like dark elves and they're thieves and they're sneaky. And the way that they've developed them into like an actual organized crime organization, <laughs> I think is really cute over the course of the last bunch of sets. Totally. And I'm loving the pirate theme too. Like, oh, mm. that's it's so great. It like still goes in with the mob, but like a seafaring mob. Really cool idea. That's just a fun way that they really worked um, dark tidings, I think, into all of the different houses. Um, we cannot end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. Blake, what do you got? All right. So I want to talk to you about a card that has become my most hated card. <laughs> this card is called Mechabui, okay? Oh. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's an artifact in Logos that gives you an Ember Pip, and it says, at the start of each player's turn, if the tide is high for that player, they gain one Ember. I've been burned so many times in one single game. I literally lost the game because they forged two keys because I forgot about Mechabui twice. Like, I literally was like, okay, I don't have to worry about it. They're not going to go into check. Forgetting that Mechabui triggers before the Forge key step, so therefore they suddenly have enough Ember. And I lost, and it drove me nuts. And I was just like, these passive effects that exist now, and there's a lot of them, you need to be very aware of it. And you almost like need a checklist now of what's going down. Because if you're not thinking about it, you're kind of leaving yourself open to get hosed like I did on multiple occasions. And not even that, but you actually like have to be like taking chains because of something like this. Like you have no choice. If you couldn't raise it and you know your opponent's going to forge for the win, like you're stuck with it. So the card just, just creates this, Uh, passive ability that you have to make sure you're very aware that it exists and it's not the only one there's other cards within the set that do a similar thing that if you're not paying attention to what's 
on the table, you could get hosed in the long run or even in the short run of uh, what it can do to you. So I just found that I was not paying attention as much when I'm playing, especially on TCO. I feel like you get into this uh, almost like a lackadaisical attitude because things are just there as opposed to when you're in person. Um, you you kind of have a more, I feel like I'm more aware of things when I'm playing in person, but on TCO, I can miss things like that. And it really hosed me. Talk about a game of Tide Chicken. Yeah, seriously. Sydney, do we have a winner for our big Keyforge giveaway? We absolutely do. So this week's winner is Michael Lopez. So I hope, Michael, that you have an amazing welcome back tournament with your friends. And if you want to enter this giveaway to win a box of 12 decks, including everything you need to play and rules to the game, go ahead and email hffspodcast at gmail.com and tell us what you would do with that box of decks. All right. Great conversation today. Wonderful topic. I can't believe how long we went on I know. talking yeah. about these cards. This was a good one. Um, my name is, of course, Scuzzy Gruner. You can find me on that name on The Crucible and on Twitter and on Instagram. Sydney, where can they find you? I am SC Steel on Discord and TCO. And Blake, where can they find you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Boulevard Blake. That's B-L-V-D Blake, as well as my YouTube channel where I'm just putting out videos. Uh, the set versus set Would You Rather seems to be a big hit. People really like uh, seeing uh, different sets and having to choose the matchups between them. Uh, Dark Tidings has been chosen every time. I do a Twitter poll <laughs> to determine uh, which set will go against another. I choose one and you guys all choose the other. So uh, be sure to go onto Twitter and check that out. All right. We will be back at you next week with more conversation about Keyforge. Until then, stay forged.